This is Hearts of Oak Podcast. Free speech, religious disagreement, children's rights, and open and free discussion on any topic are bedrock to a democratic free society, and we seek to promote and champion these basic rights. Join us. Let's keep the conversation going. And hello, Hearts of Oak. Great to be back with you uh, with a guest that I couldn't believe it's been one year since he was with us, looking back at our archives, and it is Scott Klusendorf. Scott, thank you so much for joining us once again. Peter, great to be with you, and next time we will not wait so long. I couldn't believe it. I thought Scott's been with us a couple of months ago, but no, it was October 2021. So great to have you, and I know a lot has happened over there in your great country and looking forward to chatting over it. But before I jump into that, just in case, it's been a whole year, new listeners, new audience, um, new viewers. Scott is the the founder and president of Life Training Institute um, that was established in 2004 to challenge the pro, um, to equip pro-life advocates um, and persuasively defend their views in the public square. And you can go to the website, prolifetraining.com, uh, and also at LTI pro-life on instagram um anywhere else that people can find you scott uh we do have a facebook page so they can find us there okay find you there as well wonderful well i'd encourage our viewers and listeners uh, listeners, as we're doing this as a, a pre-record a few days before, so you'll get it on Podbean, any of the downloaded uh, podcasting apps. Do go and uh, check out LTI and see what resources they have to offer and uh, understand the issue better. But it, as I said, it's the second time with Scott. We've had um, Janique Stewart on three or four times, who I know is an LTI speaker, and she's yes. come on to talk about pro-life, but also a range of other topics. And um, and we've really enjoyed that. So it's always good to connect with you and to talk about the great work you're doing. So thank you, Scott. Well, thank you for having me. Not at all. Um, now, Scott, let's jump in. That lot's happened, but I think in the USA... Um, the key date probably is twenty uh, second of January nineteen seventy three. Um, in England, Scotland, Wales, it's the Abortion Act of nineteen sixty seven um, that made um, the taking off the life of a baby legal. Um, and I guess just kind of looking back before we look at where we are at the moment, uh, I guess up until those dates, society had generally accepted um, that taking the life of another human being was wrong. I think that's true. Uh, Certainly in the U.S., you had a much wider uh, stretch of the population that agreed we should not be intentionally killing innocent human beings through the act of abortion. Uh, For example, when Roe v. Wade was decided in 1973, uh, 19 states up to that point, had liberalized their abortion laws. But 31 others had not, despite being heavily lobbied to do so. And in 1973, you could marshal large numbers of Catholic volunteers to oppose abortion at marches, rallies, uh, to lobby their state legislatures. That is no longer the case. We are a far less religious country today than we were back then in 1973. And yes, I'm speaking culturally religious. 
Uh, in other words, even if people were not, quote, born-again Christians, unquote, they were culturally religious in their worldview. Their basic worldview was theistic, based on the Judeo uh, Ten Commandments, the ethics of the Christian tradition. That is not true anymore. In fact, post-Dobbs, now flash forward to June 24th this year when the Dobbs decision came down that overturned Roe v. Wade and overturned Planned Parenthood versus Casey, the two cases that support or sustain, sustain the abortion license in this country. Now what you have is you're going to have about 20, maybe 22 states that restrict abortion uh, at some level but the majority of states are not going to. In fact, there will be some that will be very hardened in sustaining the abortion license. You look at states like California, uh, Massachusetts, New York, New Mexico, Colorado, Vermont. I mean, the list goes on, Illinois. Uh, these are states that are going to make it their primary government duty to not only sustain abortion in those states, but draw as many women as they can from red states that are restricting it to offer free of charge, all expenses paid abortions. That's how committed they are to killing children. Uh, so it's great news that Roe v. Wade was overturned. Uh, great news, Casey is no more the law of the land. However, we have just begun the cultural battle for the hearts and minds of American citizens here in the U.S. Well, I want to get into that a little bit more about the state by state. And I also want to get in more to the, the passion the left have. And that was specifically what we talked about, I think, a, a year ago. Um, but we've we've certainly witnessed that. But yeah, June 24th, um, three and a half months ago, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court overturned uh, the Roe versus Wade. Um which was a landmark decision making abortion legal in in the US. Um, tell us what that was like for you as someone who this is your bread and butter campaigning for the right of children to live and not to uh, to be killed. What was that monumentous decision like for you personally? I I had to take a moment, Peter. I literally just had to stop for about an hour and a half and process it. I was overwhelmed with emotion. Look, I understand that overturning Roe v. Wade does not end abortion in the United States, and it certainly does nothing to end it in other countries. But let, let us not be mistaken about what happened here. Uh, this was a severe blow to those who promote child killing. Uh, up until June 24th, they had the legal sanction of the Supreme Court telling the population abortion is a constitutional right. And here in the States, there tends to be this non sequitur that takes hold in people's minds. And the mistake Americans make is they say, well, if it's legal, then it must be moral. Well, that's a gargantuan non sequitur. Lots of things were legal here. Slavery, uh, spousal abuse, uh, exploiting children in, in industrial workplaces. I mean, that didn't make those things correct. So when Roe v. Wade was struck, it took away from the cultural left and those who promote child killing in this country the legal sanction they once had. Uh, that's a huge blow. It also allowed us 
now to begin passing meaningful pro-life legislation at the state level. So I was overcome with emotion. But I'll tell you what was very disappointing, not even three days later. I was watching the church services of several of the, the mega churches in around the US. I just wanted to see how they responded to this. Um, and I watched the church that I grew up in during my uh, late high school and collegiate years where I met my wife, where a lot of my formative ministry years were formed. Uh, and I watched how they dealt with it. And here's what they did, Peter. And, and I was just sickened. Instead of celebrating mm. this phenomenal spiritual and legal victory, the pastoral team basically stood up and said, we're not going to celebrate this and you shouldn't either. There are friends of ours that are hurting right now. And it is important that we be sensitive to them. Okay, look, I get it. We should not be unduly offensive as Christians. But this is a church that for 40 years told its congregants, we need to contend spiritually against abortion. The answer will come spiritually. We get our answer and their response is simply what they said that day. I mean, this is happening in a lot of places. And it means that while I rejoiced that Roe ended, I, I must tell you, uh, it was sickening to hear those responses right on the heels of it. Well, I certainly noticed that silence here in the UK with churches not opposing it, but actually not even referencing it. So, yeah. I, But I want to get into that a little bit of the church, but can I, this is Black History Month, and I note that one of the great advocates in the Supreme Court was Clarence Thomas. Yeah. And those judges, not only Clarence Thomas, but also the other judges, um, it took courage and they faced massive backlash. And it is wonderful, I think, to see individuals standing up for what they believe in instead of simply going along with whatever the media tell them to go with. Oh, listen, make no mistake about it. When the draft of the decision was leaked out on May 1st, uh, it it could have easily intimidated anybody but a justice with a backbone and a commitment to the rule of law. Because right away, these guys were getting death threats. Yeah. We all know what happened to Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, there was literally a man that was there to kill him. And had that situation not been diffused, he would have been killed and replaced with a liberal justice who would have overturned this whole thing. Uh, you look at what Clarence Thomas has had to put up with, being called an Uncle Tom, a betrayer of the black race because he doesn't support leftist principles. Uh, you look at what Alito has gone through in authoring the opinion. Uh, and by the way, his was an extraordinarily well-written opinion. Um, you look at what Neil Gorsuch has gone through and Amy Comey Barrett. I mean, all of them had to put their necks on the line to rule against Roe. And, and here's the thing. Even if you support abortion, if you're intellectually honest, you know that Roe v. Wade was one of the worst, awful, reasoned cases ever. I mean, it, it's just garbage. Its history was fraudulent. Its moral reasoning was awful. And its attempt to make abortion a constitutional right had no basis in law. And yet, 
uh, you still see today people saying, well, we need to codify Roe v. Wade at the legislative level. How? There's no basis for it. Uh, and even judges and legal experts who favor abortion mm. have written that this decision was awful. And so we ought to, if we respect the, the rule of law, be celebrating Roe's demise, and yet it's not the case. And here's why. I believe that uh, abortion for many people in the United States is a sacrament, a religion. And they are so committed to that religious view that they accept as an article of faith that there can be no such thing as any rights at all unless you have the right to kill your own child. And that is what's driving the anger, the fervor on the other side. And it's why we see them acting so irrationally. Because this was, I mean, there's not the founding fathers didn't sit down and put in the constitution that, um, no, we need an appendix to say you must be able to kill someone, you must be able to take their life mm -hmm. if you don't like them or don't want them there. That was never there. So this was simply... Um, the overturning an injustice in the law that for 50 years had seen something that wasn't there. That's exactly correct. And you're making a good point here. Roe v. Wade did not just overturn the laws of conservative states, the 31 states that did not liberalize their abortion laws prior to Roe. It overturned the laws of all 50 states, including those who did liberalize their abortion laws. And Roe made those liberal laws even worse, even more liberal, even more permissive. So uh, what we have today is a situation where the states now have the ability to introduce legislation. And you mentioned a moment ago that there was no basis for abortion in American law history. There's also no base, basis for it in British common law. Yeah. Uh, common law at the time of the founders found abortion to be a crime after quickening. Now, some people say, well, okay, well, even then they didn't believe life began at conception. They didn't know any better. The only way they knew that pregnancy was there is quickening. But even then, it's nothing close to the permissibility we saw with Roe v. Wade and subsequent decisions by our Supreme Court that made abortion legal through all nine months of pregnancy. Tell us about what it has been like to fight against that 73 decision, because um, there have been many involved. Uh, you have been involved as part of Life Training Institute. There have been other pro-life organizations, um, but it has it seems to be like a, a rear guard action. You're always and have always been fighting against um, the the media, have been fighting often against churches. Um, so, I mean, tell us what that's been like. Who has led that movement or has it been an eclectic mix of individuals and organizations? Well, it's definitely been an uphill fight and continues to be, I might add. Uh, again, with Rose demise, we are only beginning the fight. Now we can pass meaningful pro-life legislation where before we could not because the federal courts would strike it down. And here is what we're up against, just so people in, in the UK and elsewhere can understand what is going on here. American pro-lifers now have as their fundamental job puncturing misconceptions. The lies that have come out since Rose demise are just epic. I mean, we're being told that women can't get life-saving surgery for miscarriage or ectopic pregnancy. 
That is a complete and utter lie. There's not one state bill anywhere in the country that says a woman cannot get life-saving surgery for miscarriage or ectopic pregnancy. In fact, all the pro-life bills that have been introduced specifically say and include language that makes it clear that restrictions on abortion do not apply to ectopic pregnancy or miscarriage treatment. So these are just lies. But look, the other side knows good and well that a lot of people who only watch CNN or only watch MSNBC or any of the three major networks are not going to to follow up and look at this. They're going to believe whatever headline or soundbite they hear. And we are finding that people are just shocked when they learn the truth. They're like, wow, we had no idea. We just thought that this meant women were going to get jailed if they had a miscarriage. Uh, These are the kinds of things now we have to do. Uh, The other thing we have to do is make sure that people understand that pro-lifers are proposing a case that we can defend rationally because the other side is making it uh, their headline that this is nothing more than people imposing their their sectarian religious views on others. Uh, Well, that's a cop-out. Look, the pro-life argument is either sound or unsound, valid or invalid. Calling it religious is a dodge. It's calling an argument a name. It's dismissing it rather than doing the hard work of refuting it. So we're having to double down on not only teaching the logic of the pro-life view, but teaching logic in the first place. We've got people that think you've refuted an argument if you attack the person rather than refute their argument. Oh, you're a man. You can't talk on this. Uh, You just hate women. Uh, You just want women thrown in jail. I mean, none of these things... Uh, do anything to refute the pro-life argument, but in a culture that is unschooled in critical thinking, thank you, public school system, for the last 60 years, uh, you're going to get people who don't know how to engage in moral reasoning. They don't know a good argument when they see it. For that matter, they don't know a bad one. I've seen that, but one of the one of the lines they use is, "You want to condemn women to death, women who have a pregnancy, and having that because of complications that actually the mother's life is at risk. You want those mothers to die. That's what the pro-life movement is about." Yeah, we do hear that all the time. Well, first of all, suppose I were that bad. I really just hated women. That's just I'm a bad dude. I hate women. Could my pro-life argument still be sound and valid even if I hate women? And of course, the answer is, uh, of course, the argument stands or falls apart from the person making it. Uh, By the way, pro-life women uh, make the same argument as pro-life men. But let's ignore that for the moment. It's absurd to say that pro-lifers hate women, want them in prison, and want them dead. Uh, The majority of the pro-life movement is made up of women. Uh, And by the way, even women who are not pro-life, many of them understand that pro-lifers do good work through crisis pregnancy center work, for example, caring for women and children, and they're generally supportive of those efforts. So this is simply a a, a way to label your opponents, try to smear them. But look, in a TikTok culture that we live in right now, uh, those kinds of things resonate with people. Uh, And it becomes imperative that we're in the business of puncturing these misconceptions. I've seen uh, a number of cases. Um, There was, oh, there was an American, I think, has been through LTI. Um, What's his name? Gruber. 
Grub, Gruber, Mark Gruber, um, but Seth Gruber, Seth Gruber. So, uh, and I looked, uh, I saw him at, at Turning Point USA, and then I saw actually he had also been through Life Train Institute. But uh, you see a a rational position that actually is a fairly winsome argument. Yes. And the response from the left is abuse, is character assassination, is screaming in someone's face, and is violence. And yeah. it is quite weird, I guess, to look at that when you have a, an or you expect a similar type of debate coming back. But it's abuse and anger. And I guess that shows that the left don't really have much in a way of arguing their case. Yeah, you know, there's an old saying they teach you at law school, I'm told, when you have the facts, pound the facts. Mm. When you don't have the facts, pound the table and do it loudly. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of that is going on here. Uh, when you have a good argument, you can be confident that your case is sound, you can lay out your reasons for believing what you do, and there comes a confidence that allows you to engage with people in a way that's not unduly offensive. But when you're all emotion and you have a religious blind faith adherence to an argument, you are threatened if anybody dare goes after it. Uh, and you treat that as they're attacking my God and you're attacking my worship reference point. And I think those of us that are on the conservative side have not done enough work recognizing that what we're dealing with with a lot of people who support abortion is religious extremism. These are people who have blind faith. They are so committed to abortion, they uh, are threatened if anybody dare suggest an alternative narrative. Now, I'm not saying all people who support abortion are this way. I'm not saying there are not academics who lay out arguments uh, that are reasoned arguments that support abortion. Now, I don't agree with those arguments, but I'm not accusing everyone of being a religious uh, adherent to abortion. But a lot of the people we see in the news that are the street activists, the people we encounter in day-to-day -day life, have convinced themselves that if they do not have a right to intentionally kill their own offspring in the womb, they have no rights at all. Uh, this is staggering and can only be explained by blind religious faith. Uh, we, I mean, when you look politically, you look, you see, obviously, we'll, we'll, I want to touch on the difference between the states, but you look at a one poor state, those in the Sunshine State over in California, um, their governor, Gavin Newsom, is putting up signs to actually yeah. say, we will kill your child, talks about safe health care. So actually, they have come to, they have sat and thought, we want to pump money to actually make sure that we can kill more babies. I guess whenever, and, and also quoting scripture as part of that, uh, none of this love your neighbor. No, 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 it's a completely warped view. But I get that you sit back and you think, what goes on someone's mind, um, especially politically, when they want to be in an office to um, see the best in people, to rule over in a position of power, and they're, one of their key drivers is a desire to kill. I guess you're seeing that um, division in the political system, which I guess you've seen anyway over generations, but you're seeing that uh, hardened in the U.S. Let's just 
cut to the chase. I, I'm really done pretending it's otherwise. Yeah. Blue states led by Democrats are going to promote abortion wholesale. No limits, wholesale. Red states are largely going to restrict it. Uh, that's the division. We can pretend it's not that. Uh, I'm becoming increasingly less patient with Christians who say, oh, that we, we don't want to get involved in politics, as if their Christian worldview has nothing to say yeah, yeah. to a major area of human existence. Uh, it's kind of like they bifurcate their Christian witness. And, and this is what you see in the Tim Kellers of this world and others. They try to pretend, well, our Christianity is over here, but over here is politics, and we should never make the two mix. Well, wait a minute. Uh, if I'm dealing with a Christian, a so-called Christian, who thinks it's okay to kill children and wants to work politically to make that legal, I'm sorry. I have a very hard time fellowshipping with that person, yeah. believing they're a brother and sister in the faith. I mean, would you do that with someone who was proposing wife beating uh, or owning slaves? There's something morally wrong with that person's worldview. Their moral compass is broken. And it's not easy to just say, oh, well, we're just going to pretend that doesn't exist and we'll have fellowship anyway. We don't want to let side issues divide us. Excuse me, intentionally killing 62 million human beings in the U.S. since 1973 is a side issue? If that's Christianity, uh, count me out. Now, it's not Christianity, thankfully, but that's the kind of stuff we're having to deal with right now. And so much so that the governor of California can put up billboards in Florida and cite a scripture verse about loving your neighbor while he promotes abortion to Floridian women. This is the kind of stuff that happens when the church does not take up its consistent witness against evil and apply it effectively against all areas of life. Uh, this is what you get. Now, by the way, what I would hope pro-life Christians would do in Florida, go buy billboards you put up right next to Newsom's billboards that show graphic imagery of abortion and say, this is what Newsom means by loving your neighbor. Uh, that's what they ought to do. They ought to fight back against this. But again, when you have weak church leadership, you're not going to get that. I don't actually recall Jesus giving us a, a little note beside it, love your neighbor, unless you think it may be political, in which case disregard yeah. that and kill them. Uh, there, there's nothing in that which gives that reason that you can love your neighbor. Actually, let's just scrub that out and let's kill them if I choose they're not my neighbor. Yeah, what's happening here is Newsom's billboard assumes the unborn aren't human. He assumes the only neighbor involved is the woman. Uh, well, that's question begging. That's assuming the very thing he's trying to prove. And this is what happens with abortion rhetoric all the time. Most of it simply assumes the unborn aren't human. Uh, it reminds me of the uh, just tragic chapter 32 in The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, uh, an American uh, folk uh, classic in our literature over here. Yeah, we actually do have a little bit of literature here in, in the US. Not We can't match you Brits, bit. but we, we, we have a little bit, a little bit. Um, and, of course, in this story, uh, in Chapter 32, Huck Finn has been out on an adventure, and he's he uh, happens on the property of Aunt Sally, 
who sees him from a distance and comes up to him and says, where have you been, my boy? We've been waiting for you. We've been waiting for you. And, and she's mistaken. She thinks that, that Huck is Tom Sawyer. But Huck doesn't know what to do, so he, he just makes up a story. And he says, well, ma'am, we were on a steamboat and it blew a cylinder head. That's why we were late. And Aunt Sally says, was anybody hurt? No, ma'am, it killed a Negro, but nobody was hurt. And Aunt Sally says, well, that's good because sometimes people do get hurt. Whoa, think about what just happened there. What was assumed about the black man? That he wasn't one of us. It's not argued for, it's simply assumed. And this is what happens in the culture. And this is why Gavin Newsom can put up signs that say, love your neighbor by allowing her to kill her own unborn offspring. And everybody goes, oh, how sweet. He used scripture. Um, what was the response of the the media? You obviously were, were there. Uh, we are very much a foreign. Our media was silent, yeah. apart from some talking about the awful decision that will remove health care from women, not talking about the health care of yeah. the child. But what, what was the um, response? Because I'm guessing even you look at those on the right, even Fox, I guess they would have contained themselves or um, been careful of what they said. I'm sure it wasn't full out joy. It was not. It was complete media meltdown. And what happened is five seconds after the decision was announced, they were already peddling their misconceptions and lies, Hmm. uh, saying that this now means women will be uh, thrown in jail for having miscarriages. This means that in uh, over half the states in the country, women won't get the necessary health care they need. Uh, They'll be allowed to die rather than get life-saving ectopic pregnancy treatment. I mean, it was just epic. Uh, there was no even pretense uh, at being objective here. So that was generally what happened. Now, were there minor news outlets that were more thoughtful? Yeah, of course. You could find conservative outlets that were more rational about this. Even if they weren't overtly pro-life, at least they were being even-handed, but they were few and far between. And nothing has changed. Look, we've been told that the the midterms are going to be a referendum on Roe v. Wade, that our American congressional uh, interim uh, elections that are coming up, midterm elections that are coming up here in about a month, are going to be decided by an American public uh, matter than you can imagine that Roe v. Wade got overturned. I'm not so sure that will happen. Our economy is in real bad shape. Uh, inflation worldwide, I don't need to tell you about it. You're experiencing the same thing in in your fine country. But uh, look, uh, there are a lot of issues. Every time you go to the gas pump, as the old saying goes, it's a Republican campaign commercial. Uh, I don't know what the midterms will do, but I will tell you this. If, in fact, you end up seeing a Democrat wave instead of the red Republican wave that most experts think is coming. Uh, That will tell us that this abortion religion mindset is deeply entrenched in our Mm -hmm. culture, so much so that people will ignore their awful economic situation, the fact that they uh, can't keep up with inflation, the fact that gas prices are through the roof, they can't buy baby formula, Uh, that everything you want these days to purchase, you end up waiting for, if you get it at all, 
And uh, they're willing to set all that aside and say, you know what? I'm not voting my pocketbook. I'm voting my religion. And I think conservatives, even if the midterms go the right way, which I hope they will, uh, I think we need to understand this. What we are up against are people who are not going to surrender their love for abortion, even if it means their livelihood is taken from them. Now, to get a grip on this, Peter, you wouldn't and I wouldn't give up our Christian faith for money. If somebody walked into your studio right now and said, here's 10 million pounds, all I need you to do is renounce your Christianity. You're not going to do it. In fact, you're not going to do it for any amount of money. Well, they're no less fervent. Their worship of the environment, their worship of abortion is deeply entrenched, and they're not going to give it up any more than you're going to give it up. And there is a core group of people that that's true of, and they happen to be the political class in the in this nation right now on the left. No, I've I've heard um, well the midterms obviously coming up in a couple of weeks, and I've I've heard some Republican friends say, "Well, this was a really bad decision. This is not going to cost us dear." But there's never a, I guess, a good time politically for anything because anything can be used against you. But then I I, I kind of think of the the general electorate, the 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 populace, that they are not as as driven. All you see on TV, you see in the media, are activists who yeah. are so consumed by this. But I think when it goes down to the general population, that they actually, they're not going to say, well, I'm out of a job, but I don't care that Sleepy Joe's lost my job. I want to kill babies, and that's my most important thing. I think it has to, and it always does in politics, boil down to... Um, putting food on the table, providing for your family, having a safe environment to live. And it boils down to those bread and butter economic issues. It does, but we should not assume that the core constituency of the abortion movement is going to let those issues factor into how they vote in elections. And that core constituency that supports abortion is a lot bigger than a lot of pro-lifers want to admit. Look what happened in Kansas. Uh, When it's put directly to the people, uh, are we going to vote abortion up or down? Uh, They voted up. Uh, If you were to do a straight up vote across the United States right now, uh, should we keep the codification found in Roe v. Wade, the rule of law in this country? I'm going to tell you pro-lifers will lose that vote. Now, it's true that a lot of people don't know what Roe said and that how radical it is. I get that. But right now, where we're at, we are foolish to think we've won the uh, political public opinion uh, battle. Uh, We're not. The worldview assumptions that make abortion plausible to millions of our fellow citizens are deeply entrenched. And we're living in a dream world if we think that overturning Roe means we are now on the path to winning, guaranteed. No, it's now a dogfight. Um, if I could borrow an example, maybe this is corny, but here goes. Uh, if you if you have seen the new Top Gun Maverick movie, uh, when Roe was overturned, that was miracle number one. For those who saw the movie, you know what I'm talking about. Now it's a dogfight. It's a dogfight. Uh, and, you know, we're going to have to see if we have what's needed uh, to win that dogfight. 
How has it taken 50 years for us to overturn such an injustice? I'm going to speculate here. Uh, I'm sure there are better minds than mine that could give a better answer, but but no, there aren't. My... There aren't. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, I appreciate that kindness. Um, a couple of things. Number one, there's been a whole generation or two of aspiring jurists that have been schooled in the jurisprudence of Hans Kelsen. Uh, Kelsen was an Austrian jurist who taught that there's no objective reality to the human being. Rather, human beings are juristic constructions of the state. The state literally defines who is and is not a human being with rights. So natural rights, those rights you have in virtue of your humanity that are pre-political, that are anterior to the state, were tossed aside in favor of rights that the state alone confers. And you have all the major law schools teaching this worldview, uh, this anthropology about what human beings are. And when that deeper worldview takes root and goes largely unchallenged, then you're going to get judges who feel free to define who is and is not a member of the human family. Uh, and so that is one issue that has happened. The other issue is cultural relativism, the belief that right and wrong are either up to you, the individual, or uh, your society, but there's no objective standards that we are to get in line with. We literally construct morality like we construct human beings. Now, you put those two together, forget other things that, that came into play here. Those two things alone being dominant worldviews in U.S. culture, and may I say Western culture as a whole. I don't think it's much different in the U.K. or Canada. Once the, the view of the human person is established that he or she is a construction of the state, and once you have cultural relativism that says there are no moral rules, we construct them for ourselves, that is enough to keep the abortion license running. Now, the reason it got overturned here in the States is not because there was a massive cultural rebellion against relativism, against uh, the view that humans are constructed, because if anything, those worldviews are even deeper entrenched yeah. now than they were in 1973. What happened was we got a political break. In 2016, the pro-life movement here in the States was in deep trouble. In fact, we were uh, at a breaking point. Think about where we were in October of 2016. We were one Supreme Court justice away from being put out of business in ways that we never imagined before. Wow. Uh, not only that, doctors who are pro-life were being told if they didn't participate in abortion by either performing or referring for the practice, they had to surrender their trade and go out of business. In the state of California, pro-life pregnancy centers were being forced to refer clients for abortion services to clinics that would do the procedure, and nobody thought this was a big deal. Uh, and we were that close to having a president that would add three new liberal uh, justices to the court and make Roe v. Wade being overturned put out a reach for probably 60 years, if not longer. That's how close we were. 
and by God's providence, we got Donald Trump. Uh, now, I'm not going to say everything with Donald Trump was great, but the man certainly did the pro-life movement uh, a favor and indeed saved uh, the pro-life movement from utter devastation. And uh, if we aren't willing to admit that, we're just not being honest. And thankfully, the judges he put on the court respect the rule of law. They respect the Constitution. And I don't know their personal views on abortion. But I do know this, they are going to ask the question, is a fundamental right to an abortion found in the Constitution? No, it's not there. Well, there goes Roe, there goes Casey. And they were right to decide that. Oh, absolutely. Um, it shows how God can use anyone, no matter how strange they are. And I guess maybe we thought someone like Ronald Reagan would actually be involved in, over time he's written a book uh, on pro-life. And yet you have someone coming like Trump who disrupts everything and um, and changes the, yeah. the, the whole status quo. Well, and this is how the Lord often works. Uh, for those in your audience that are Christian and come from a Christian tradition, I think we recognize that if you look at all of biblical history, you see the Lord using some unique people uh, to make a difference. And unique is said somewhat generously there. Um, but this is it. But here's the thing. Even though God is sovereign, even though God in his timing sends people to fulfill his sovereign plans, none of that negates us being faithful witnesses yep. to the truth and calling evil out for what it is, mm -hmm. and doing our best to persuade our fellow citizens, whether in the UK or here in the US, that abortion is the intentional killing of an innocent human being. We all have to assume that responsibility. Absolutely. Um, Scott, can I just finish of asking you how Life Training Institute fits into this? Um, I'm assuming it's you carry on as normal as if nothing has happened, but right. how the kind of how do you respond to this, and does that affect your work? Well, uh, initially, immediately after the Dobbs decision, we took a few steps internally to protect our speakers. I mean, I have three female speakers who work with me, uh, and I felt it necessary because of the violent threats from pro-abortionists on the left that it was. Uh, absolutely essential that we uh, do everything we could to protect the women in particular who were speaking for us. So we made a few changes to our website where we did not give exact locations of presentations, although we allowed the people sponsoring the event to advertise it. We didn't uh, do it the same way we did before. We're changing that back soon. But that that was just something we felt wisdom to do. We aren't canceling anything. Uh, that's not going to happen. Uh, we're going to do everything we do despite threats. Uh, but we felt for the ladies in particular, we needed to be careful. Uh, the second thing we're doing is stepping up our efforts to puncture misconceptions. Yeah. Uh, Janique Stewart, one of our speakers who's been on your show, as you mentioned many times, told me the other day in a phone conversation that she is now finding in her talks with high school and college students that basically... Uh, she has to start with getting all the lies out of the way before she can even start making her case. Mm. So we've had to make an apologetic adjustment. We now have to do the work of puncturing the misconceptions to level the playing field, to clear the ground before we can even begin the process 
of uh, making our case. So we're doing that. Uh, obviously, uh, we are going to continue working with Christian worldview forms, getting our training in there. Nothing has changed at all. We've always been about the apologetic work. We're not a political organization. We don't endorse candidates, but we do lay out our case for the pro-life view, and we do help Christians integrate their faith in a way that is more holistic and consistent with that biblical worldview, and we're going to continue doing that. Perhaps I wouldn't expect anything less, Scott. Um, Just for you, Scott was, uh, I think, when I first heard him speak at, uh, possibly at Wilberforce, Christian Concern, um, I was blown away by his ability to put forward such a a winsome argument and and persuasive position as he does. So I would encourage all our viewers to go and make use of what's on the website, have a look at what's there, and make sure you're equipped. Um, Or maybe actually you have thought, well, I'm I'm pro-life, but actually, you know, women have the right to do X, Y, Z. Well, actually go and educate yourself, have a look at those videos, um, and I think you will be much better off for having that understanding. Um, Scott, as always, thank you so much for your time. Great to have you with us and great to hear the work you're doing. Thank you so much. Peter, anytime I get to speak to an audience made up of a lot of Brits, I'm a happy man. So uh, great to be with you. Look forward to our next time together. Absolutely. Let me just finish off with our viewers. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. I said this coming to you a few days before, so you'll be able to watch it on all of the video platforms, not just those live streaming ones. And also you can listen on the go on Podbean or any of the uh, podcasting apps that you normally use. So thank you so much for tuning in. All the links, of course, are in the description, so you can follow Scott and Life Training Institute there. Um, and wish you a wonderful rest of your day, however you're watching, wherever you're watching if you're listening thank you for tuning in and look forward to having you back with us on our next interview so thank you so much and goodbye if you like what we do sign up to our mailing list donate share and subscribe to our many platforms at heartsofoak.org thank you for listening